I want to thank the worship team. We don't often do that, uh, but it's always meaningful to me when I weep during worship because of something that is said, something that is played, and I did that today. So I want to thank the worship team for leading me to the throne of grace that way. Growing up, I really liked being a religious person. Whether it was elementary school, middle school, or the early stages of high school, I liked being right, and I liked being good. And frankly, I liked being better and more right and more good than other people. It's interesting, in Jesus' time period, there were other people like that also. Religious leaders were that way. They were people that enjoyed being religious also. And they had a whole series of rules and a whole series of things that they did that allowed them to say, hey, we're right, and we're better, and we're good. That is, until they came face-to-face with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the opportunity to look into that again today. And we ask, Father, that you would guide us, give us your grace, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to apply. And we pray these things in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. I trust you have your Bibles open to Mark chapter 7, because that's what we're going to talk about today, Mark chapter 7. We're in a big series, a long series through the Gospel of Mark. The title of this series has been Amazed by Jesus. Actually, it's a, kind of, it's a very appropriate title because in the Gospel of Mark, there's three or four different Greek words that Mark uses, all of which can be translated in this way. So it's either amazed or astounded or surprised or shocked. And that's the way it is in this book as Mark seeks to renew our thinking, realign our thinking as to who Jesus is. All of the Gospels do that. All of the Gospels focus all the time is on the person and work of Christ. And I want to emphasize the person part. Because we tend to think an awful lot about Jesus' death and resurrection. We think an awful lot about his teaching, appropriately so. But it is who he is that is so very important to us. So all of the titles that we have, he's son of man, son of God, he's Messiah, he's king, etc. All of those things have meaning. And all of those things are opened up in the gospel and give us a rich and more defining view of who he is. Because it is him that we trust in. But it's not just Christology, it's not even just the identity of Christ, it's discipleship. And as we have entered into this section now, Mark chapter 6 through chapter 8, as Jesus further reveals who he is to his disciples, then this issue of discipleship comes up, and the concept of Jesus as Messiah ties very closely to Jesus, or excuse me, ties very close to us as disciples. So what he is as Messiah, what his Messiahship is, is what we should be as disciples. When we get to chapter 8, that will become much more clear to us. Jesus, in in these books, in these Gospels, deals with three different sets of people. He deals with the disciples, he deals with the crowds, and he deals with the religious leaders. All of them come face-to-face with who Christ is. All of them have to make decisions about what they will do with this Jesus And they all have to go through the same path. That response that we give to Jesus begins with trusting in him. And if there is no trust in him, the response to Christ is different. So we can talk about being amazed and being astounded and being surprised and being shocked. But when we come to the religious leaders, their response is quite different. 
Their response already we've seen in chapter 1 and chapter 3 about the very topic we're going to talk about today as Jesus actually confronted them with something that he did that challenged the very thing that they rested all of their religious identity on. And throughout the Gospels, Jesus is taking those identity markers and each one, whether it be the Sabbath, today, whether it be purity laws, he basically says they're all fulfilled in me. So if you have a relationship with me, all of those things pass away, as it were, and they're all fulfilled in who he is. And that, as I said before, being religious and being confronted by Jesus to be able to say, all of that means nothing when you know Jesus is profoundly deep and also can be profoundly challenging. So when we come to John, excuse me, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 23, what is he talking about? What's the main idea he's trying to get across? It's this. True purity, true purity does not come through keeping religious laws. True purity only comes through knowing Jesus Christ. So true purity, the kind of purity that goes deep, the kind of purity that is spiritual, the kind of purity that is heartfelt, does not come through keeping religious rules, does not come through protecting ourselves through religious rules. It comes through knowing Jesus Chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. I think we could answer that, say that in this section, Mark is saying, so are the religious leaders right? Are the religious leaders correct about religious purity? Please notice. And the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered together around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands. Thus, please notice, observing the traditions of the elders. And when they had come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. And so the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? but eat their bread with impure hands. So this is, he's explaining to us what this whole concept of purity is. I want you to notice one very important thing. As we go back and read Leviticus, for instance, chapters 11 through 15, and we talk about the, the purity laws back then, or see them repeated again in, chapter, in Deuteronomy chapters 5 and following, we don't see this type of stuff. These are things, as he said, well, these are the traditions of the elders, these are the types of things that they do to protect themselves, as it were, from contamination, from their involvement with the Gentiles. That's why they do the things they do after being in the marketplace. They've actually been out there with the Gentiles, and they come back and they need to wash themselves. Notice how far it extends, too. It's not just simply washing of their hands. It goes all the way down to the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. But it's the reason that is so important. It's the reason that I just mentioned, I said in verse 3, thus, as they do that, because they observe the tradition of the elders, the traditions that they have handed down, that they consider to be protection. Here's the law. Let's add in a whole bunch of rules and laws to ensure that we don't break that law. But as we will see here shortly, in so doing, they are actually doing damage itself to the law of God. Notice their accusation 
Because this is really about Jesus. It's not about his disciples. Notice verse 5. He says, why do, quote, your disciples, your disciples, not walk according to the tradition? Jesus, you're their teacher. Jesus, you're their leader. Jesus, you are the one who should be setting the example. And these people are not walking. They are not living in accordance with the tradition of the elders. Please notice how important that is to them. They don't say anything about the Torah. They don't say anything about Moses. This is all about their religious rules, the religious system that they set up, of which they are very proud, of which they consider themselves to be good and right. So the question that Mark raises for his Gentile readership is, so are the Jewish leaders correct? Are the Jewish leaders right? Notice Jesus' answer, verses 6 to 13. And he said to them, Rightly or well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. In vain they worship me. Emptily they worship me. Because they teach as doctrines the precepts of men. Thus neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you nicely set aside the commandment of God in order to keep your traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, Anything of mine you might have been helped by is korban. That is to say, given to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother. Thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down. And you do many things such as this. So what is Jesus' answer? Is the question, verses 1 to 5, are the Jewish people right? Are the Jewish leaders right? With all of the rules and things that they put around the law to protect it and ensure that our application is proper, is that right? Jesus' answer is very blunt. Religious tradition, religious tradition, the very reason by which they're doing these, the tradition of the elders, is a very dangerous thing. And it must never, ever, ever be put above Scripture. Notice his very first start in verse 6, how he describes them as hypocrites. Hypocrites is a nice word in New Testament. We tend to see it as an English word that we have here, but the Greek word is actually meaning something under a mask. It describes an actor. It describes someone who is actually playing a part. And what is this hypocrisy that is being involved? The hypocrisy that Jesus points out from Isaiah chapter 29 is this. You think you're worshiping me. All of your talk, all of your words are just empty. Why? Because your heart is far from me. Actually, it's very far from me. Two words used there. Very far from me. So your words are just a show. Your worship is just a show. You truly are hypocrites. You truly are acting a part. But it doesn't stop there. In vain do you worship me. So it's not just a show. It's not just empty. It's vain. It's proud. Why? 
Because you are teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. That is the key. So it started way back in the Old Testament. It was available in the Old Testament. The people of Israel in Isaiah's time were carrying this out. And the Pharisees and the scribes continue it today. And Jesus points that out as as he confronts them about this whole system of rules that they have established. This man-made teaching, why is it bad? This man-made teaching, why is he criticizing it? Why are these traditions something that is evil? Because he says three times with three different words, because it nullifies, because it empties, because it makes void the word of God. So in elevating your tradition, in elevating your rules, in elevating these things that you somehow think is going to justify your application, you've actually taken the word of God and brought it down to zero. In fact... In this passage, three times, the indication is very clear. Because you want to hold fast, because you want to grasp, because you want to hold on to your religion, you do that because you've rejected the other one. You do that in order that. In order that. You can empty the word of God. The whole purpose of holding on to your traditions in Jesus' eyes, in God's eyes, is so the word of God is a zero. It's like you can take this book and shut it up. Because your traditions mean more. Because your traditions are more meaningful. And that's why Jesus criticizes it as clearly as he does. It doesn't end, as it were, with these purity laws. He raises this example about obedience to honoring your father and your mother. Notice, please, it's not just honoring your father and mother, but he who speaks evil of father and mother, let him be put to death... And he goes on to talk about this elaborate thing that you can actually take something that you could give to your needy father or mother and simply declaring it as korban, as something dedicated to God. You don't even have to give it to God. You can just simply make the statement. You now are freed from the responsibility of obeying God's word. That's what you want to see here. It's not so much just saying, oh, you're being heartless towards your parents. Jesus is saying, you're emptying God's word by your word, by just simply saying, hey, I'm keeping the tradition of the elders. That's all I need to do. Lest we think this is just Jesus who does this, let me give you a quote from the Mishnah. The Mishnah is a great example of Jewish and rabbinic traditions. Listen to what this man says. It is a greater offense to teach anything contrary to the voice of the rabbis than to contradict Scripture itself. Pretty profound, isn't it? You're allowed to contradict Scripture, but you better not contradict the rabbis. That's what Jesus is criticizing. That's what he is saying. Keeping of this religious tradition, being bound to this religious tradition, holding tight to this religious tradition, empties the Word of God. You may as well just shut your Bible up. Simply say, I don't need this. All I need is the tradition, the rules that I, have, I am following. Verses 14 to 23, he brings this to a conclusion. Remember, he's talking primarily to the Pharisees, but now notice he summons the multitude again. So everybody is there, and he begins saying to them, let's come back to this issue of purity. He says this, listen to me, hear what I'm saying, all of you, and understand Understand, think, put on your thoughts, think. There is nothing outside the man which going into him 
can defile him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. That's going to start this whole process, start this whole section. But I want you to see, it says can. It's unable. Anything coming outside. Jesus puts all of the things out there as unable to truly defile us. It's what comes out from our heart that defiles us. So in this section, verses 14 to 23, that Abby read for us, Jesus' authority comes to bear again. Jesus' authority over this issue of cleanliness and purity comes to the fore as he raises the issue back up and actually declares, declares all of this tradition to be not, and in fact, actually takes the Old Testament and changes something specific. Notice we see it in verse 19. So let me read the whole section again. Verse 17. So now he leaves the multitude. He enters the house. His disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you too so uncomprehending? He had just said in verse 14, Understand. Now he just simply says, Are you so lacking understanding? Still, still, after all of the teaching, after all of the things that we've talked about, is everything still just outside? Nothing is think you're not even thinking about anything inside with regard to your heart. Notice what he says. Do you not see that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him, unable to defile him, because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Notice verse 19 in parentheses. Thus he declared all foods clean. This new covenant minister, this new covenant mediator is now taking an old covenant principle and his authority now changing it. He goes on to say, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. So for Jesus, defilement is not a thing thing. It's not something out there that we touch and somehow makes us impure. It's a person thing. Things are not unclean. People are. Things are not unclean. People are. And defilement is not something outside us. It's inside us. In our hearts. And he goes on to list all of the things. That which proceeds out of the man is what defiles the man. Verse 20. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed, notice this following list. A whole list of plural things, actions that we do, and a whole list of singular things, the attitudes from which these actions and thoughts come. So let's sit back and just listen to this. Think about Paul in Galatians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians. There's various places where these lists show up. Jesus has his own. That which proceeds out of the heart of men are evil thoughts and fornications, thefts, Murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, deeds of wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. That can be easily just glossed over, can't it? We can just easily read it fairly quickly, can't we? 
I want to go back and I want to read it one more time. I'm going to make no comments about it. You all know what these things are. You all know how these things potentially reside in our hearts if we're not careful. Let me read the list again. For that which comes from within, out of the heart of men, in terms of words, thoughts, actions, evil thoughts, fornication, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within, and these are the things that defile a man. So Mark chapter 7, 1 to 23, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is basically saying to us, telling us, true purification, the purification of our inner beings, does not come from keeping religious rules, does not come from traditions of men, does not come from following these rules that we can make up. It comes from what Jesus himself does for us. So how do we apply this? How do we take this and think about what this might mean for us today? So number one, we should give thanks to God every day and praise God every day for what the gospel has done for us, for what Jesus has done for us. Think about 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, any man, if any man he is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. There's this new creation that God is making through Jesus and the work of Christ. And we are all a part of it. All things are become new. All things, old things have passed away. Everything is new, including our heart. 1 John 1.7, a passage talking about sin. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us. That cleanses us. This purity and cleanliness, these purity laws that the Pharisees were so desperate to create and keep because they wanted to be religious, because they wanted to be good and clean, Jesus has done for us. Positionally, we stand before him. The passage that I read to open our service in Hebrews chapter 10, 19 to 22, we stand cleansed in our spirits and therefore we can come to his throne Come before him today, every day, to worship him because the gospel has done that, because Jesus has done that for us, objectively, deeply, truly. But there's two other issues here in this passage. As Jesus speaks to these Pharisees and to these scribes, I would say two warnings, two bewares for us as believers to take account of. The first one is this. We need to be really careful, as any church does, that our traditions, that our applications, that the things that we do don't become rules that we somehow think are better than the Word of God itself. Somehow higher than the Word of God itself. Somehow the things that we do, the ideas that we have, the principles that we create are more important, more authoritative than the Word of God itself, such that we need to be aware that those things might lead us, the potential of leading us away from 
obeying Christ. And we actually fall into the hypocrite category. May the Lord deliver us from that. May the Lord deliver us from that to keep us constantly tied to what Scripture is teaching, constantly tied to what the Bible says, constantly thinking to ourselves, where in the Bible does it say that I should do that? Where in the Bible does it say I need to be careful about that? But there's also a reminder about our heart, isn't there? At the end of this section, this whole section talking about our heart, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, if you'd like to turn there, please, is a great verse talking about our heart. Jesus talks about the importance of our heart. So did Solomon. He says this. So this is the NASB I'm reading from. It says this, watch over your heart with all diligence. I'm actually going to change that. The Hebrew says this, above everything, above everything that you pay attention to, Everything that you care about, everything that you put as a priority in your life, above all of those things that are important to you, protect and guard your heart. Why? Verse 23b. For from it flows, comes out. Nasby says the springs of life. It is actually just a plural, living things. All that is life, all that makes up life, everything of our lives comes from our heart, comes out from our heart. Therefore, with all the things that you pay attention to and all the things that you care about and all the things that you put priorities on, the very first thing at the very top, the very top, am I protecting my heart? Am I guarding my heart? from anything that will form it in a way apart from Scripture, that will anything that will direct it away from Scripture, and anything that will tempt it away from Scripture. Jesus would remind us that anything that defiles us, everything that defiles us come from, comes from within. So God calls us, Solomon calls us, Jesus calls us, with all of his authority, guard our hearts. As I said at the very beginning, I enjoyed being a religious person. But you know what? I like better being a clean and pure follower of Jesus. I'd like us to take a few minutes to silently pray. For all of you to pray, I will pray silently, and then I will conclude our time in prayer. But think about what Mark 7, 1 to 23, says to you today. Says to you today. What change do you want to take When you walk out this door, what are you going to want to do differently this week with regard to what Mark 7 is saying to you? Let's pray quietly for a minute. Father, thank you for the reality of this passage and all that it teaches us. We pray, Father, that we would recognize that true purity has been given to us and that it is a truth that we should guard, a fact that we should recognize, give you praise and thanks for what the gospel has done, but also recognize, Father, there are ways in which we can fail, ways in which we can be proud of the things that we believe in and do apart from the gospel. 
So protect us from that. May we protect our hearts. May we care about our hearts above everything else in the world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen.